0: Besides, the lives of the Ritchie and Skinner families had long been intertwined. The Sydney factory of the Ritchie brothers, which made railway carriages, trams and agricultural implements, had employed both Alfred Skinner and his father over the years. Martin was six when his grandfather asked Alfred to become Telford's caretaker. Alfred's tasks including hand-milking the cow and fetching supplies by boat across the river. At the hamlet of Pilly, half a kilometre away, dodging the sandbar that appeared at low tide. At times Martin was joined at Telford by friends from Sydney. They sailed together in Martin's clinker wood dinghy, and they fished with him. Martin spent hours fishing. He knew the movements of the fish, their feeding patterns, and the time of day when they would appear. He was a silent, obsessive angler who understood and anticipated the behaviour of the different kinds of fish. Martin watched people sailing in wooden skiffs hired from a boat shed at Pilly. At art school years later, he would paint an image of people fishing from three little boats on this sparkling river, oblivious to the lone boy watching from the shady shore. Martin saw how men baited their hooks with weed so as to catch shy blackfish, and learned how best to catch them himself. He enjoyed the dramatic fight that ensued when a fisherman reeled in a large fish and attempted to land his struggling catch. He put such observations to use beyond fishing for Martin wasn't averse to playing tricks. When he spotted one of his parents' more stilted friends, an aide-de-camp to the New South Wales governor, arriving at the wharf one day, Martin appeared to be struggling to land a giant fish. The boy wrestled with his line and sought help from the visitor. Martin handed over his line and the aide-de-camp reeled in a kerosene tin. Even as a boy, Martin could orchestrate a laugh at another's expense. Visitors arriving by boat rather than by road walked uphill past a vast bunya pine and crossed a lawn where croquet had been played early last century. In front of the house was a weathered seat, its grey stone covered in lichen, positioned to take in the lawn and river view. The front door opened onto a lounge with a huge fireplace on the left. The room's dark wood panelling, which also covered the pitched ceiling, created a sombre interior. The room contained a piano on which his father played, a gramophone, and his mother's stack of 78 RPM records. But at times he felt an uneasy silence and sadness in the big house that he did not understand. As an adult, Martin often described himself as an only child of an only child. It implied a solitary responsibility, a burden even, to guard the memories, knowledge and artefacts of his lineage. For without siblings cousins, aunties and uncles. There was no one to protect or impart the family stories. And these mattered to Martin. They mattered a great deal. On his mother's side, he was the third in a dynasty of only children, for his grandfather also had no siblings. Indeed, Martin was an only child of an only child of an only child. In him were invested all their hopes and dreams for the future. His paternal side was more populous. Martin's father had four siblings, who each had several children. Martin had more than a dozen first cousins, but Martin identified closely with his mother's line. Hers was a world of immense wealth and privilege, a world of nannies, servants and chauffeur-driven cars. By the time Martin was born, his maternal grandfather, Stuart Ritchie, was one of Australia's richest men. But the Ritchies, like America's Vanderbilts or Carnegies, with whom they invite comparisons, didn't start out that way. The first Ritchie to set foot in Australia grew up in the Scottish town of Paisley, just outside Glasgow. The town was the centre of the textile industry in the mid-19th century, when its most famous product, Paisley shawls, became the height of fashion. Although wages were lower in Paisley than in the Scottish capital Edinburgh, spinners, dyers and weavers were drawn from elsewhere to the town's plentiful work, But a depression in the early 1840s saw many mills close, which may have been why one of the town's dyers embarked on a long and risky journey. John Ritchie set sail for Australia and arrived in Sydney in 1848 with his family, which included his 12-year-old Paisley-born son, Robert Adam. Robert's older brother, a shipwright also called John, had already emigrated to Sydney, and that may have prompted the decision to seek a better life in the distant colonial town. The Ritchies brought more hope than money, for few with wealth ever willingly embarked on the perilous journey to the other side of the world. They arrived as free settlers.